The Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast is sponsored by Beer Edge. I'm Andy Crouch, the co-founder of Beer Edge, along with my partner and your podcast host, John Hall. John and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. And as always, thanks for your support. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. And today, my guest is Lisa Allen, the head brewer of Heater Allen in Oregon. Yes, we're going to talk about lockers. And I'll have a proper introduction in just a moment. But first, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is produced by Beer Edge. Check out BeerEdge.com for articles, podcasts, and to subscribe to the newsletter written by myself and Andy Crouch. Also, be sure to follow Beer Edge on social media at The Beer Edge. And please take a moment to leave a review of the show on your podcast platform of choice. I remember the first time I was handed a heater Allen Pilsner. I was visiting Portland years ago, and my love of lagers was well established. A friend ordered without even asking, and I've been thankful ever since. We know there's something special about a well-made lager, and as we're in the full heat of summer, at least here on the East Coast, a crisp, clear, refreshing lager is perfect for the situation. And, since it's top of mind, and my recycling bin reflects that, I called up Lisa Allen. She's the head brewer of Heater Allen, the brewery her father started in 2007. He lived the classic story of a home brewer that went pro and decided to make the beers he wanted to drink. In a hoppy landscape, his beers stood out in Oregon, even if you couldn't get them too far from the brewery itself. Lisa says she was fascinated by fermentation and brewing science from a young age, but didn't plan on joining her father's business and instead went into winemaking. But, as fate had it, she would enter the brew house to help out and hasn't left. It's been a great benefit to us all. She spoke to me from the brewery in McMinnville, Oregon, and we get into what's it like working for a small family business, what happens when you futz around with some lagers, and how easy it is to get her beer these days. But first, I wanted to ask about how the brewery had been impacted by COVID-19. And so we start there. Here's our conversation. Um, it's gone. It's kind of gone through waves. Um, when it first happened, uh, about 70% of our beer we did on draft and it was mostly our Pilsner. Um, and then we just kind of started canning more and found different avenues of places where we could sell, um, sell our pills specifically just because we had so much in tanks that we weren't getting rid of. Um, but I definitely had so many tanks full. Like we went down to only three days um, of work a week for a while there for probably the first month. And then um, now we're not back to a full five days. It's about, it's typically, I'm, I'm, I think I'm working probably now about like 32 hour weeks, um, 30 hour weeks. And, um, it used to be back what, brewing though? twice a week. Oh, uh, it's probably uh, 40 plus. 
depending okay. on the week. Um, so uh, now it's um, ever since I hired my seller guy in September, um, I was probably working between 40 and 50 hours a week. But then once I got, once I hired my seller guy, he was, has been a huge help. And so that put it more down to normal hours. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so now we're just canning a lot more. Our like production numbers are definitely down slightly just because, um, <clears throat> we, you know, didn't brew as much as we typically would have for about a month. Yeah. Um, but can sales are going relatively well. We, um, have, distributed to California for a while now and we're just sending them a lot more beer and going up to Seattle a little bit more often with beer. Um, and these are, mar- these are markets that we- you were in, but you've had to, but yeah. you've just been looking for more outlets because draft has just died off. Yeah, we did. Um, and we did start um, the company Tavor that sells all over the country, yep. um, like an app or whatever. They, uh, They've asked us for beer in the past. They've wanted to partner with us, and we've honestly never had enough beer for them. And so this was a situation where we're like, oh, we can sell you guys beer now. <laughs> so, And they've actually been great. They've been great to work with. So, um, And that's been like, so we don't have beer sitting around and just like getting old. Um, we've been able to move some through that. And then also I, it gives people across the country – more of a chance to try our beer if they're part of, you know, if they subscribed to that um, service or whatever. That, so, that's such an interesting thing, yeah. though, because I, I always thought of you, your brewery, as like one of Oregon's better kept secrets. Um, <laughs> you know, just like in a good way. Like it was like that secret handshake. If if uh, you know somebody from out of town came in, uh, you know, my writer friends would always, you know, it'd be one of the first beers that they'd put in my hand. Um, yeah, you know, it was sort of this welcome thing, but like, you know, and, and then part of the charm was, wow, this is a really great beer, but I can't get that anywhere else. Um, yeah, w- w- was that sort of the intent for the brewery early on to, to, <laughs> to stay local? Um, yeah. And I think part of it too, is that, um, beer tastes better the closer it is to the source. Um, I mean, because of just, uh, because of the how heat affects beer and stuff like that especially if it's not kept cold um i think that's kind of why we you know never did this before um because we have been trying to keep it like close and local but you know i guess desperate time <laughs> yeah i mean but but th- does that does that worry you cuz like you do have this reputation as a brewery that you cares about quality and that, and that's certainly a reputation mm-hmm. that all breweries should have um but now that people can get it you know, wherever in the country um, and, and through the mail after it's been to a warehouse, it, is that the sort of thing that makes you twitchy or it do you have faith me, in the system? Like it does, it does a little bit. And I think that's, that's another reason it's not like, that's why we haven't done it before. Um, we've, uh, I've actually gotten good feedback from people who have, who have bought the beer through that, through Tabor. So um, that makes me like a little bit more confident that, you know, they're doing, doing it right, I guess, protecting the beer, uh, in the way that they can. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it still like makes me nervous. <laughs> like, 
I mean, you, you know, you want your beer to taste as good as possible. And, um, but it's but, just one of those things where I feel at some point, you know, once it leaves the brewery, you can't control it. Like someone could be not doing a good job at storing kegs in Portland, but someone yeah. in California that gets, gets a keg could like, you know, make sure it's always kept cold and stuff like that. So, um, you know, you have to deal with that aspect, I guess, too, just the, the human, the human element. That makes sense. And, and it, as you said before, it, it's a matter of survival. Um, yeah. How is it looking long term for you? Like what, um, like, what right now, we've now, still... now that you're getting beer out, I guess, is, is you know, what's the next worry that comes up and and then, you know, <laughs> long term? I think right now we're feeling pretty comfortable with where we are. Um, we've been able to sell enough cans and like um, because we haven't gone even with uh, some restaurants and re- reopening and stuff like that. We actually still haven't been selling very much draft. Um, we've been really trying to concentrate on cans. And so um, as long as we're able to kind of sell cans, I think, you know, we hope that we can make it through this. Like we've had a small tap room, but our tap room never made that much money for us. Um, and so there's a lot of, I think, breweries in Portland that have been having a hard time because they rely on their pubs. They rely on their brew pub for people to come and buy beer at the source and buy food and all of that. So, um, you know, we have never, we never had, we never lost that source of income. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, let's just kind of shift our focus. And instead of focusing on draft, let's focus on package. Um, And I think the one concern for me would be, I mean, there's a lot of breweries in Portland. So, I mean, I'm assuming that stuff, because of COVID is probably going to close down again in the fall. Yeah. Um, and so, especially with the weather we have here, most restaurants have transitioned to having out outdoor seating, which is great in the summer, but as soon as it starts to rain, you're <laughs> not going to be able to see, see people outside. Um, <clears throat> so I think the, you know, the worry is then too, it's like, uh, are people, now all of the breweries again are going to start wanting to put stuff in package. So then it's just going to be, you know, a flooded kind of a flooded market in, in a sense. Um, So, yeah, I think, I think we're in a, in pretty, we're in pretty good shape right now. Um, But I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what exactly happens in the fall. So we're trying to brew like special things. Um, So before, I mean, we typically brew twice a week and, um, before COVID, uh, it was, so about eight times a month, um, sometimes nine, but usually eight times a month and six of those brews would be pills. And so we didn't really have a lot of room to brew other stuff. And so now it's like, I'm still brewing a decent amount of pills, but we're also brewing, um, we've been doing the, these series of these differently hopped pilsners, um, where we, we typically have been taking like kind of a newer, exciting American hop and using that, um, in a pilsner to kind of accentuate the hop. Um, we've been doing like, uh, we've brewed as Wickle beer, which is kind of like a Franconian style, kind of my take on mm-hmm. Marsbrau Ungespunden. <laughs> 
And we brewed that twice now just because we were like, this is really good. Let's do this again. Um, and uh, yeah, I was actually just working on the schedule earlier today and um, we're going to do uh, our export lager again. And all of these used to only be draft only options. And, you know, now we are putting them in can. And so I, it's kind of cool too, because I think more people are able to try them rather than trying to track down what bar or restaurant or, whatever has you know has it on tap so so getting access because we've been seeing this trend is that people are drinking like comfort beers um during lockdown during during covid i mean there was this initial um uh thrust of like hey let's all drink our cellars and let's all empty our cellars and then i think we got about a, a month or so into that or in some cases you know two or three days into it and it's like man i just i just want a lager um like this <laughs> you know this oxidized boozy old ale that i've been holding on to since 1994 is it's just not what i thought it was going to be um I, I, have you been seeing that as well that people are gravitating towards you and maybe fans or I, I guess I should say drinkers that might have previously come to you only occasionally or even not at all are now coming and buying your beers because of what we're going through? Yeah, I think um, especially um, I think at the start of this, especially too, I was even seeing um, like we were going through so much pills and we would just get um we've been kind of partnering with a, another brewery locally in McMinnville um, to sell our cases out of there. So we only have to have like one person come in contact with the public on a regular basis and stuff. But um, what's the, uh, what's the other brewery? Well, well um, allegory brewing. Okay. <clears throat> and um, we, uh, but I mean, we would even just see people, people would call and be like, Hey, if you guys are around, can I come and pick up a kit? Uh, some beer and then these people who used to buy maybe a four pack or maybe two four packs every once in a while would come and like buy a couple of cases. So people were like, Oh, I'm going to like get a lot. Cause who knows like when I'm going to be able to make it down here again, or um, I'm just going to stock up cause I'm at home and maybe I'm drinking a little bit more than yeah. usual. So. Yeah. I fall, I fall into that, that latter category. Um, oh yeah. Same, same here. It, <laughs> It's it's interesting though. Um, you're you're talking about uh, adding new varieties of hops as well, and uh, we've had other lager makers on this show, and anybody who listens to it knows that that I'm an unabashed fan of lagers. Um, there's usually a, a sense of tradition um, that exists, and trying to make things as technically perfect to historical style as possible. Um, the fact that you're messing around with hops, I, I, I'm, I, I dig that idea. I like that idea. Um, and, and, and I guess I'm sort of curious as to your thought on what is the state of loggers in America right now? Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, it's, I think, I think one of the, and one of the reasons just to say like why one of the things that's cool about doing our series with the different hops is like we're in McMinnville. We are like really close to Oregon's hop country. Um, and we also like, even though, you know, our beer 
definitely has a following and is popular and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, IPA is still king in Oregon. So I think if you make a Pilsner, that's maybe a little bit more on the hoppy side. Like people are like, Ooh, this is nice. Yeah. Um, but, but, do, but, but do, do you run the risk though? And I, I do want to get back to the current state of it, but do you run, do you run the yeah. risk of just becoming like an IPL, you know, the India pale lager or, <laughs> you know, or, you know, God forbid, just people thinking that it's an IPA because they don't, they don't know the difference. We try to make it so it's, um, we do kind of a German, a German style Pilsner base. And so it's pretty, the hop is definitely there, but it's not going to be like i none of them have been totally overwhelming where you're just like oh man like this is way hoppy um like if you are primarily a lager drinker and or a pilsner drinker you're still gonna like kind of the differently hop ones they're not they're definitely you know it's not dry hopped with four pounds per barrel (laughs) the hop it's all hot side um for this for these beers and um so we're trying to keep them, you know, good, like good to accent the hop, but not like it's not going to totally like destroy your palate with bitterness or just be too hoppy that a typical like someone who enjoys our regular Pilsner is, you know, still going to enjoy it. And people who, you know, typically buy our beer are still going to enjoy it. Yeah. So. Back to the original question, then I guess though, like, <laughs> how, how, how do you see the state of loggers in America right now? The state of loggers, yeah. Um, well, I think it is cool to see kind of loggers becoming more popular in the last couple of years. Um, among craft that's drinkers, that's been really yeah. yes, yes, among craft drinkers. I've had yeah, because lager is the most popular popular <laughs> style yeah. in the world, um, but. Uh, yeah, among craft drinkers, it's kind of been cool to see because I, I have, I've had this joke for a while where it's like on, um, you know, New Year's Eve each year, I've been like, so 2017, the year of the lager, like <laughs> just as a joke, I've done that for years. Um, and I feel like I stopped doing it in 2018 because I really feel like that was kind of the year of the lager. Um, what do you think, mate? Wh- wh- uh, why do you think that? I don't, I don't know. I think it was just kind of a flip in the switch where people all of a sudden we're like, Oh wait, no, there, these are really good, like easy to drink, you know, delicious beer. Um, I've talked before. I've met, I've talked to friends about the um, kind of the evolution of a craft beer drinker, where I feel like a lot of people start with um, getting really into hoppy beers and IPAs, and then they'll slowly move their way to like Belgian styles and sour beers. And then the last of the evolution is getting into like traditional German lager. <laughs> so I feel like that has happened as a collective almost of craft beer drinkers. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that um, uh, with the kind of traditional styles, um, I, while I do like respect and try to follow traditional methods, I also know that I'm not making beer in, you know, 1870. So I do have some advantages that I don't necessarily have to do. Um, Like what? And um, well, so like we don't do like we don't do a decoction. 
I think if you have a decoction kettle and you're able to do it, it is a really cool method and could add some awesome flavors to your beer. I don't think it's necessary to make a good lager. Um, I think if you have a heated mash mixer, that works kind of the same way. <laughs> so you're not going to get all of some, you're not going to get some of the caramelization flavors you get, but you're still going to, um, you know, manipulate the enzymes in a certain way that you want to, um, as you would with decoction. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, so there's, I don't know. I think that, I think that there can be a, I think that you can make really good loggers on like a more American system. Um, so I'm not like, I, and I, like I said, I totally respect the very traditional thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think all of it is necessary. I do. I am surprised that more brewers don't, <clears throat> don't do um, natural carbonation <laughs> for their beers, um, like more craft brewers. Cause then you're like saving an element you. And it, I just think the texture of the carbonation when you're spooning a tank is a lot better than using a carb stone and um, you're not going through as much CO2 and <laughs> it's more environmentally friendly because, you know, you're utilizing something that the yeast is producing anyway. Yeah. Um, so certain things like that, that um, I do like adhere to and do think are really important. And then there's other things that I'm like, yeah, that'd be really cool, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary. So. I'm not looking for you to name names, but there, there are people who, or there are brewers who, are putting out loggers these days and I'm using air quotes as, as, as I'm saying it. And you know, they're, they're not like sticking to even some of the most basic guidelines, um, in, in, in some yeah, cases, yeah. um, before COVID, I imagine you were out drinking and you were out trying a lot of things. And as a brewer, I imagine that there are things that just make its way to your brew house from, you know, fans and other people on, on travels. Uh, if, if visiting breweries in the past is any indication, uh, brewers get a lot of uh, unsolicited beer from outside places. Um, it, it is, oh, yeah. <laughs> is there what's a pet peeve of yours that you've seen from brewers that are making or even just starting to attempt to make loggers, you know, if, if, if 2018 was the year of the logger and now we're on an upswing and more people are getting into the game, um, uh, you Lisa Allen as a, uh, uh, seasoned logger brewer, what are some of your pet peeves that new to the game brewers should avoid at all costs? Um, I think that, uh, I think that if you're going I, I think if you're going to make good loggers, I do think you have to, you have to do a step mash. Um, I have had, I have a lot of logger. I've tried a lot of loggers from breweries that concentrate on making IPAs and their loggers are always too, way too sweet and they taste way too grainy. Yeah. And I think it's because they're just doing a single infusion. And so it's just like, you're not able to like manipulate the enzymes to kind of get that nice dryness that you can, if you just utilize a step mash. Um, so that's one of, yeah, the, the real like super sweetness. Um, <laughs> and then the, I can um, hear the frustration in your voice as you're describing <laughs> some of these just from memory. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry like, that I led yeah, you down this I'm, path. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get us out of it in a few minutes, but but no, what else what else is bothering you about it? Um, I I honestly like I know this is really trendy right now, and people will probably get mad at me for saying this, but I do not like oak aged loggers. They're just not my favorite. Um, I think that I've had ones that are well done, but it's just not a flavor I want to taste in a pilsner. I don't want to taste oak. Like I came to beer from the wine world yeah. and like even, even in the wine world, like there's wines that have too much oak in them and that you don't want, um, you don't want that wood flower or flavor. Sorry. <laughs> and I think that's the same with like some wood age beers. And sometimes they, they also are oxidized. And I'm like, this is, this is a flaw. This shouldn't be here. Um, so I, and that's not to say that people can't enjoy them. It's just something I am not a big fan of. Um, I think that. And, and when you're saying like, oak though, oh, like, like food or aged kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anything that has like, if it's a neutral. So I think people are like, Oh, well in, you know, back in the day they put, um, they, like in Germany and stuff, they put um, beer in, in barrels, but yeah. it was like, it was pitch lined. So it didn't, the oak didn't impart a flavor on the beer. And I think a lot of people, yeah. So it's just, it's not my favorite flavor. Um, I don't know. I've had I, a couple that I really enjoy. So I'm, you know, I, I might be. Yeah, no, I know. And I've, I've had some that are really like well-made. Um, it's just not my favorite flavor. So that's, that's more of a personal thing. It's not something that I'm like, um, but I think that it can be well done and I think it can be poorly executed. And I think that's part of the thing that um, it's kind of those poorly executed ones that I've had where I'm just like, just don't do it. Just like... <laughs> Okay. Um, so I'm trying to think of... Uh, yeah. Um, well, we don't have to keep going down actually, the path. No, it's, you know. Okay. I'm, <laughs> who knows? I might think of something else later. All right. If, if you do think of something else later, tell me. Um, but you mentioned coming <laughs> from the wine world, um, which yeah. not a ton of people do, uh, e- even still. Your, your father, who started the brewery, obviously came from home brewing, and that's a more traditional path uh, for, for, for yeah. folks getting into to beer uh, and, and beer making. What did you learn in the wine industry that you think has helped you make good beer, better beer, great beer? Um, I think honestly coming to, um, I think so a lot of the places I worked at were like custom crush, um, places like, uh, for those who don't know what that is, can you? Yeah. Um, so it would be like you would, um, a winery would make wine for several different wineries. Okay. Um, so one of the places, uh, actually, yeah, one of the places I worked at in California, they, um, they made their own wine, but then they had all of this extra tank space. And so they also took on clients and, um, made their wine there from processing the fruit all the way, um, to putting it in barrels. Um, and so what I kind of learned, I think from that is that there's, there's a lot of ways to make some, there's a lot of ways to make wine essentially. And I think that's the same way with beer too. Um, I think sometimes brewers 
get very like, oh, this is the one way we do things and this is the way we have to do things. Um, but there's a lot of different ways to do something. Just like some lager brewers use decoction and some don't. And some IPA brewers dry hop at, you know, after fermentation is over. I don't know if anyone does anymore. <laughs> or some people do it like during fermentation. Like there's a lot of different methods to do to do one thing. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that one is better than the other. It's just different. Um, uh, and it, I think, um, it made me just working in wine made me appreciate beer a lot more. Um, cause I don't, even though I do sometimes work very long hours, I don't have to work harvest anymore. So that makes me really happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, but yeah, it just, and it also, um, I don't know, it's, it's pretty different in a lot of ways. So it did kind of, I did kind of bring some methods that I don't think my dad really knew, um, having, he shadowed at a couple of breweries before he started. Um, but just coming from a homebrew, the homebrew side of it, and then reading a lot, um, and all of that, I think I was able to bring some stuff from the wine world that's like, oh no, like we can do this this way. And coming from a place that had used similar methods, maybe not exactly the same methods, but using similar methods, um, and applying those to the brewery itself. That makes sense. Um, you touched on your father, uh, and, and his homebrew background and, and, and starting the brewery. Um, there are, 8,000 plus breweries in the country right now. And the, the future remains un, un, unclear for, for a lot of folks. But when I talk to brewers that have started, I've been in brew houses where, you know, they'll point to their five-year-old who's playing on the floor, you know, Legos next to some fermenters and saying, this will all be his one day. Um, you know, and, and there's sort of this, this expectation. I, I don't know if it's from, you know, the, the, the Bush family or, you know, the Coors family or some of these other uh, brewing dynasties that we've seen um, that this is, you know, can be treated as a generational business, you know, handed down from generation to generation. And uh, we've seen some brewers try to pass the reins on to kids and sometimes it's works and sometimes it hasn't um, or other brewers sold. Uh, you've had the, the benefit of coming into this later as an adult uh, who had a career separate from the brewery before you, you, you joined the family business. Um, but it, it did become a generational business at that point. Um, as you think about the dynamic of working for and working with your father and working on a, a business that bears the family name, what, what do you say to the younger generation of brewers that have kids maybe, you know, that are in their teens or, you know, starting to get into the general workplace who might be, um, you know, wanting to pass on the business one day. What have you learned as the, the the daughter father dynamic that you think can help other (laughs) brewers or, you know, or potentially tell them to, you know, go running, screaming off into the, (laughs) into the fields. Yeah. Um, It, I would say, well, first of all, I would say like it definitely, um, it definitely changed my dad and my relationship. Um, and I think like it's, 
I would say that we are definitely closer and stuff like that, but I would say like we sometimes speak more in work terms and stuff like that than actually, you know, speaking more family. <laughs> if that, I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, um, well, it's, t- it's tough to it's, leave the job have, at home. Kind of, yeah. Or yeah. Tough to yeah, leave the job at yeah. the job. You know, Christmas dinner isn't necessarily about, you know, what's going on in your life. It's, you know, your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, what's, what's in fermenter three, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> past the sweet potatoes. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so it definitely changes your relationship. Um, and, uh, I would say that, um, it, it's the one thing that from my dad and I, like, we didn't like immediately get along and work together swimmingly. Like, we have very similar personalities. And so it was actually pretty hard for us to work together for the first few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, and now, and now we're fine. And it's just like, I tell people in, it's frustrating sometimes because you do have, I feel like as the, um, child of the business owner that works for the business, it, um, I, it's hard to sometimes just, not care about stuff. Like I can't go home and like, just not think about the brewery or not like be worried about something of having to do with the brewery. It's like, it's always, it's always a part of my life. Um, where it's like, you know, as a lot of brewers just clock in at the beginning of the day, clock in at the end of the day and, you know, they're done with it. Um, and, uh, so I would say that, um, for for people that would like their kids to take it on, I would say don't force it would be my, my thing. Like if they're interested in it and talk to them about it, but um, I don't, I was always like pretty interested in, um, I got interested in like the process of making alcohol kind of, um, I mean, I would say I was slightly encouraged by my dad, but I kind of got into it on my own. And so it wasn't something that, um, I ever was, I feel like forced into, um, when I actually first started working at the brewery, I always thought that I would go back to wine. Uh, and I was just like the whole part of me working there was my dad needed to get his knee replaced. And so I was going to help and work out at the work at the brewery while my dad got, had to get his knee replaced. Um, and then I just really liked the process and really liked the industry. And I did, you know, like working for a family business, but you know, my, my name is essentially on this beer. Um, it's Peter is your mother's maiden name and Alan is obviously your last name. Yeah. 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 So that would, I mean, that would be, I think my main, my main piece of advice would be to not force your, you know, child into it if they don't want to do it. Um, because, I mean, like you said before, too, there have been some breweries that have just decided to sell. And sometimes that's the best move for the family. Yeah. Um, so. Um, when it comes to Oregon, uh, I'm, I'm going to change gears a little bit here. Um I, I was in thinking about this interview, I've been thinking sort of about the last time that I visited uh, Portland and uh, your beer was one of the first that uh, a friend of mine put in my hand uh, after after I got to his house. And um, I, I started thinking about how 
from the outside, Oregon in general is often thought of as an incubator, and there's a lot of experimentation that happens. And, and I think a lot of experimentation happens you know, everywhere, um, but because of the sheer number of breweries that the state has, uh, because of some of the big names uh, and some of the excitement that's around the entire brewing industry in the state, you know, there, there's often a lot of, you know, wow, it's super progressive. But then I started to think about it a little bit more, and some of the more iconic beers that come out of the state, you know, the ones that that, that we know, um, are actually more rooted in tradition than they are, you know, trying to bend the will of of of, of, of palates. And and I'm sort of curious as somebody who makes lagers and and and, and makes them well in a traditional style, but then also, as we now know, messes around with them a little bit. Um, <laughs> how should we view Oregon um, from 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 a more I don't know intimate level? I guess you know not necessarily some of the bigger brands that make their way out of the the the, the state. You know, I'm thinking of you know like Rogue or Deschutes or you know uh, you know even Nkasi, um, you know the, these days. Um, but on the more I don't know neighborhood level or town by town level, that's not Portland. What what's what's Oregon like beer wise? Um, I would say so. Um, I mean, as I mentioned, I think earlier that uh, IPA is still very much king in Oregon. Um, but I think that because there is because we have this brewing tradition where I think there is a lot of really well made beer. I think that you know, there's this standard kind of that, um, you know, if you're going to have a brewery in, in Oregon, like you need to make really good beer. And if you don't make really good beer, you probably aren't going to last very long. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's what, whenever I go and visit other places, like I find places that have great beer um, but it always kind of reminds me too, that I'm kind of spoiled being in Oregon. Cause, um, you know, I can go to pretty much, uh, any brewery and, um, even if it's a brewery that like specializes in hazy hazies and that I'm not a huge fan of, sorry. <laughs> um, but I can find <laughs> not many lager that brewers I... are. Yeah. It goes against everything that's in your, in your core, right. Of your core beliefs. <laughs> Yeah. You used um, how much hops but, and why can't I see through this? And yeah. I know. I know. Um Have you thought but, about a pineapple uh, puree lager? Oh no. What about Twizzlers <laughs> or Skittles or something in there? <laughs> oh man, that's so that actually now that you mentioned that I remembered one of my other um uh <laughs> pet peeves is is people just like putting that like um, rather than concentrating first on making like, say a really, a really good Kolsch style or something like that. They're just like, well, let's make a Kolsch with lemon in it or something like that. It's like, well, why don't you lemon make heads. the style really lemon well? Heads is what you and mean. then, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, and then maybe add that other element. Like, why don't you learn how to make the style first really well? And, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that going back to the Oregon question, um, I think that also like, and, um, I've said this before, uh, in other interviews and stuff too, where it's like, 
I think one of the things about Oregon where we're really lucky is we have pretty much the entire state has really good water. Um, and so we are kind of in this perfect place to make beer in general. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, I think it's just kind of a, a standard of, of beer making in a way where it's, you know, you, um, if you're, you know, you essentially, you better be pretty good at making beer. Otherwise, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna survive very long. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think else what it's, um, it's been interesting to see cause I, I grew up in Portland and so it's been, I kind of grew up with the craft beer scene. And so, um, it kind of has been interesting to kind of see the evolution. Obviously I didn't, you know, drink beer when I was three, when I think, <laughs> when I think like craft beer kind of started getting popular, but um, I mean, my parents were always into craft beer and stuff like that. So um, kind of seeing the evolution uh, with that. Um, and uh, I just remember a lot of pale ale and IPA. <laughs> so uh, I think there's definitely the roots in those kind of that traditional kind of West Coast, as they call it, um, yeah. IPA. As we're recording this, uh, and this will go up uh, just a, a day or so after after we record this episode, um, Portland has been uh, rocked by protests, um, rocked by uh, federal agents uh, doing some really questionable stuff, uh, and I'm being charitable with the word questionable, uh, uh, yeah. borderline, if, if not completely uh, you know, against what we stand for a, 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 as a country. Um, and there's real fights being uh, weighed in the streets right now. And we've seen beer and the brewing industry you know, start to reckon with itself um, over the last uh, certainly a couple months, but you know, over the last uh, few years as well. And, and, and you've been on the forefront of that. You've been very outspoken about change that needs to come to the industry um, uh, on, on a number of different on a number of different fronts. Um, as we start to close out this episode, I'm, I'm curious as to where you think our attention should be. You, know, you as a brewer um, running a business, um, you know, that that touches so many lives. Where should the brewing industry be you know, thinking about putting its efforts and how to how do you enact that? You know, how do you how do, how do you actually bring meaningful change to? you know, to an industry that, that needs it. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's, I think it's really, it's really hard, um, to, yeah, it's an elegant question to ask as well. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but I mean, I would think the, I think one of the things is like in, in people's tap rooms and restaurants and all of that, I think, one of the first things you can do is make sure that everyone feels, feels welcome there. Um, so, you know, that means maybe not having a Confederate flag on your wall or um, like making sure there's just kind of just keep it plain, have like, <laughs> don't have like racist or homophobic or um, 
uh, or sexist, you know, beer names. I think that's a big one. It's um, amazing that in 2020, and, though, that still has to be said. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. It's like, I don't, I've, um, I, what, a friend of mine who owns uh, a beer bar called the Bitter Monk here in McMinnville, he like has, people are like, oh, why don't you get this beer on, on tap? And he's like, uh, because of the name. And he like refuses to have any beer on tap that has like a derogatory name towards like women or if it's, you know, geared towards another group, he's like, I'm not going to have some like date rapey beer name on tap. Yeah. Um, so, but I think it's just making an inclusive environment, which I feel like, you know, if, if people feel welcome, then I think you're going to get more people in that industry. I mean, I think that's in a way how, um, what happened with women, I think, especially in the Pacific Northwest, I feel like we do have this little, like kind of liberal bubble. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have a lot of women brewers and just women that work in the beer industry out here. And not to say that there aren't issues, but I think part of that is because um, the tap rooms and restaurants and pubs were always like, you know, very inclusive to everyone that wanted to come in there. Um, And then I think it also is with education Um, just having those educational opportunities open and making sure that people know that they're available. Um, Because I think there's a lot of people uh, that just don't know that these opportunities are out there for them. Um, So if you just kind of, and uh, sometimes it's as simple as making sure um, you're maybe, you know, following some, uh, some different groups that, you know, aren't some, um, like I start after, like I realized after this whole thing started happening across the country, I was like, I only follow like, you know, three like black Instagram people ha- that having to do with beer, like that's that, why, like, why don't I follow more people? And so yeah. I like sought that out. And then now it's like, oh, this is really cool. I've learned all of this other stuff that I didn't know before. And sometimes it's as simple as that. And then like, can even reach out to someone and be like, hey, I heard that you wanted to like do this. Did you know about this opportunity through this that, you know, you can partake in? And so sometimes it's just doing the simple thing by like, you know, looking at your social media feed and being like, hey, I can like maybe, you know, maybe I can Using it as a two-way street, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I mean, and I think that's the thing with even um, with getting like having had more women get into the industry um, with the Pink Boots Society. I think a lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, I'm not like really into being part of a group. And it's like, but you do realize like it's pretty much just scholarship opportunities, right? Like that's like what it is. It's like an educational group. (laughs) That's what we're trying to do. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think the same thing and, um, uh, has to do with getting more diversity into the beer industry is just kind of making people feel like they're invited and, you know, um, kind of making sure that people that want to get educated and want to be in the industry have the opportunity to do that. Makes sense. It's a progressive march forward that uh, 
is moving <laughs> yeah. much too slow for a lot of folks and hopefully we can start to to pick up the pace and um and have some loggers along the way as well um yeah yeah lisa thanks so much for for taking the time and, and talking with me on the show today i really appreciate it yeah thanks for having me my thanks to lisa for being on the show and you now know how you can get her beer delivered right to your doorstep you know what to do. Make sure you check out the brewery online and on social media as well. And before we go, I'll remind you that the show is produced by Beer Edge. Check out BeerEdge.com and subscribe to the newsletter and also download the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Andy Crouch with new episodes every week. Also check out Steal This Beer and the BYO Nano podcast. And please don't forget to go into Apple Podcasts or wherever you download and leave a review of this show. If you have questions, suggestions, or guests you'd like to hear, please email me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or you can reach out on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Nate Schwaber does the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. And my thanks to you for listening. I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back to drink beer and to think beer.